Welcome to the Hayes Salespeople Podcast, where we talk to the brightest minds in modern sales and get their tips and advice on all things sales. I'm your interim host, Jenna Sachs from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. Today, I want to welcome Juhi Saha to the podcast. Hey, Juhi. Hey, Jenna. How are you? Good. How are you doing today? Well, thank you. Juhi is the Vice President of Partnerships and Alliances at Clearbit, a data activation platform allowing companies to discover, engage, and convert their most valuable customers from one flexible go-to-market foundation. So Juhi, we generally like to start with an icebreaker, something fun about you, maybe outside of your professional work. Um, you know, What's something that you like to do in your spare time? Well... I spend most of my day staring at a computer screen. So when I'm not working, I love to paint, specifically oil paintings. It's really wonderful to get your hands dirty and do something really tactile. Yeah, we were talking a little bit before we started recording about how I want to get back into jewelry design, right? Just as something that takes your mind off or changes the way your brain is working for just a different task and and is really like calming. Um, How long have you been painting? Oh, gosh. Since I've been taking classes since 2007, on and off, on and off. So I'm not in my thousand hours yet to be an expert. And that's fun. It's therapy. Yeah, I totally agree. One thing I think that you might be an expert in though, and you know why we invited you on the podcast today, um, is, is partnerships. And I think, you know, we tried to get as many different perspectives on, um, different areas of sales that we can get here. And I think partnerships is one where we, we really could use a little bit more conversation around this. Um, so you're currently at Clearbit, and I know Clearbit's a little bit more of a startup from you know Microsoft and where you previously were. Uh, would love to start by how you're thinking about building out a partnerships organization within Clearbit, or just how you would approach that in general. I think when I start any new project or business, I like to think about what am I solving for and who am I solving it for. And so with that in mind, I think partnerships is so unique because we have so many different customers. We have real customers, external customers. We have internal stakeholders. And then we have partners that we need to solve for. So with all of that, when I think about a partnership, A, I try to figure out what's our goal for partnerships. Is it mindshare with the broader market? Is it driving net new direct revenue? Is it driving influence revenue? building out a ton of integrations, all of the above maybe, and then clicking into each of those areas and figuring out who I'm solving it for. How do I solve it? What's the short-term plan? What's the long-term game plan? What resources do I need? And just go from there. And I mean, those are a lot of different areas. And I know because I've been in partnerships too, and I'm laughing over here in my head (laughs) um, because it it is one of those things where you're driving different focuses. And then you also have your internal company partners that you're working with to try to say, look, this is the program we're building to support the business. Um, how do you prioritize which of these things you go for first when you're, when you're looking at building this out and, you know, trying to do everything all at once, but also really trying to focus the business on actually positive outcomes that are coming out of it. I always try to tie it back to the broader company objectives that we're tying our business to. For example, at Clearbid, and actually at my previous program at Microsoft, because it was a new function for each company at Microsoft setting up the startups program. 
at Clearbit Building Out Partnerships. I was looking to gain more credibility, essentially, with key players in the market and have them be our lighthouse, have them be our biggest champions out in the market and talk about partnerships with Clearbit and how it benefited them and their customers. And from there, hopefully, we could build out the broader ecosystem. So with that in mind, I would develop a strategy, for example, at Clearbit. We could partner with everyone. Like We power so many companies, not just in MarTech, but in financial services and healthcare. We could go broad or we could go deep. And we've chosen to go really deep and do that starting with the best in breed MarTech partners because we have a small team and we have amazing folks in different functional units. But how do I make sure that I'm not scattering their attention and I'm making sure they're focused on the thing that matters most to the business now? So with that in mind, just focusing on a set group of top of breed, best in class partners in MarTech in each functional area that our customers care about, building out partnerships with them, building out case studies with them, helping them grow their businesses and working with their partners to expand our business is how I've been taking a very slow but steady approach to scaling this thing out in a controlled manner. Um, yeah, I, I, I love partner because I think it's one of the most chaotic but impactful yeah. <laughs> areas of a business. Um, and a lot of salespeople don't really know how to work with partners, how to look at what programs being built or, and a lot of leadership also doesn't know how to see the impact. But if the company goal is just driving more revenue, for example, how do you, how do you showcase that? Cause I, like you said, there could be net new direct revenue, influence revenue. There could be all of these different pieces that you might be competing with marketing or, or other internal forces that are also driving these things to say, this was actually, you know, something that partner did. So I mean, getting a little into attribution here, but more more on a broad scale, like how do you look at that piece? I think it's really important to your point of not having internal conflict, like internal channel conflict is way worse than external channel conflict. And so to that end, I think it's really important to figure out what attributes are we going to track to partner? And for us, it's direct revenue that partners pay clear bid. And influence revenue, which we define as leads that partners bring to Clearbit or assist Clearbit with in terms of leads that come in for marketing through webinars that partners do, that attribution goes to marketing. And in some cases, like at Clearbit and at Microsoft, we actually do double attribution, for example, for sales and partnerships for deals that are partner influenced. So it would retire quota for a seller directly. Um, and a deal that was partner influence would count towards partnerships influence revenue quota. And so just making sure to your point from the get go, that there's no internal conflict and we are all incentivized to work together is really, really crucial. And then that ties back to stakeholder buy-in internally from finance, from our C-suite, et cetera. Oh yeah. Finance and that double comp piece. Mm -hmm. So when you are talking about attribution and getting things aligned, obviously there's also a lot of different partnership types, right? We can talk about an alliances partnership, which could inc uh, incorporate referrals. It could incorporate uh, more of that like system integrators motion and, and 
people that want to actually provide service or partners that want to provide services to the client and don't really want a referral bonus. How do you evangelize that within the team? I think it's a tough one because sellers have so many internal competing priorities. And so how do you get partner front and center for them? So to that end, what we've done at ClearBid is when I joined, we started focusing on getting these really critical partnerships set up with players that were major in our space in chat and intent, et cetera. And once we had those partnerships set up in terms of how they would resell ClearBit within their platforms and how they would go to market with us, I started really small with sales. I identified a few AEs who were essentially partner champions who knew how to work with partners. And I worked with them with a couple of partners on closing some key deals. And showcasing those wins internally, I think, got other sellers really excited because it was one of their peers who's retiring quota through partners or expanding deal sizes through partners. That's what got our AEs super excited about working with partners. Then it was a pretty simple approach. I set up Slack channels for our sales teams to talk to our partners. And we set up Crossbeam and sellers on both sides could look and see which deals partners could help with. They go to Slack, they tag the appropriate seller and say, hey, could you help me on this deal? And I think as that momentum started growing, as people started seeing more and more deals close with partners, our sellers are now actively going into Salesforce and looking for cross-beam integrations with partners. And if they see a partner's in a deal, they'll reach out to the appropriate Slack channel and ask for help. So that was kind of like the middle phase of co-selling with partners, just teaching our sellers the benefit of selling with partners. And, and I'm specifically talking about technical partners here. And now we're at a point where we're doing more programmatic enablement. So we're having partners come in and train our sales team on how our integrations work, what the top track is, how to co-sell. Here are some leads you could help with. Like Here's a list now. Now that that muscle's been built to some degree, we're building it up even more. So TLDR, I think a phased approach is the best one. And having internal AE champions just kind of shine a light on partnerships is really crucial. Yeah, I think that's so important. And what I got out of that too is getting your partners in front of your sales team to be like, hey, we're here. We're working with you on this. This is how we can support you. And really bringing that back to those deal wins. Because I think what I've seen in the past too, is sometimes it's just an expectation of a referral motion. You know, it's, it's not always going to be black and white partner is not going to hand you a deal on a silver platter every time it might happen. I think I see it a lot more in the commercial space than maybe the larger enterprise space where there's a more complex deal, but a partner is going to be key at different points throughout the sales cycle that you can bring them in and they can really support driving that forward, accelerating your sales velocity, and ultimately getting you a a better end game for the client throughout the entire customer journey. And retention. Yeah. To your point, partners drive retention and you see multi-partner deals having bigger deal sizes, better retention. So all of that matters to CS as well. Right. And I think a lot of times companies have this misconception of again, that attribution model, this was brought to us by a partner. So this is the only thing that counts, but then there's that influence and there's different levels of influence within it. You know, one thing we've talked about here is here at SalesLoft, we've talked about 
different levels of influence within that bucket, that broader bucket of influence. Because yes, we could have a partner that's maybe introducing us to a contact, but not really involved in the deal. But then we could have someone who's who maybe didn't refer the deal to us initially. Maybe it came from a marketing lead, but they took that deal and they made it something bigger, right? They might've made it from, you know, something that might've been a five license trial to actually a full scale, um, full scale opportunity. It may have pushed it forward uh, by accelerating the velocity of the deal and allowing that to close quicker and more effectively. So I think you see different levels of that and education throughout all of that is so important. A hundred percent. So I think one other thing we talked about before we started recording as well is, is cloud partnerships. I know this is something you were doing when you were at Microsoft. Um, so would love to hear more about that piece because I think that's a really big meaty area of partnerships that we don't really hear about a lot in terms of what that means for a business. I think working with these major cloud players is can be really daunting to companies and it shouldn't necessarily be if you know how to approach it. I think um, to set yourself up for success, you need to understand what stage of growth you're at, whether you have the capacity to actually work with a major cloud player on the sales side, on the revenue side, and on the marketing side, and possibly in some cases on the technical side. So would it be helpful if I double-clicked into each of those areas? Yes, let's double-click into that. We could go from there. (laughs) Cloud partners, I've noticed, tend to have a pretty basic framework that doesn't change from partner to partner. They have three functions. They have functions that focus on build with, like building with the cloud player. And I'll focus with on Microsoft for this piece. Uh, Microsoft has a team of folks who help partners build on Microsoft's clouds. They provide technical assistance. They provide investment funds. They provide help with system integrators. Um, they also have a Microsoft for Startups program, which gives you free Azure credits. So a lot of really great things for startups to use and build with. So once you're on a cloud platform, most cloud platforms have a threshold before you can start co-selling with them. Microsoft's um, requirements, and you can find this on their site, they usually require a company to have at least half of their architecture on Azure. And again, they provide technical assistance to get on Azure. But once you're on Azure, you just create a bunch of you know, marketing collateral that Microsoft sellers can use to educate themselves about your product. And that's when the co-sell floodgates open. Once you're in the co-sell program, you can share leads with Microsoft. You can ask sellers for help. They can share leads with you. And you can close deals together through Microsoft's marketplace if you want. And you know, marketplaces are a funny thing, right? Usually you think, okay, I'm going to lose some revenue if I transact on someone else's paper. But with Microsoft, what I actually saw was um, startups that were working with enterprises and didn't have a ton of credibility in the market yet. Enterprises would be more open to working with them if they went through Microsoft's marketplace because it was on Microsoft's paper. Um, It was much easier to get a ton of vetting done. And it drew down that enterprise's monetary commitment to Microsoft. So there are a lot of levers internally that if you know how to pull and showcase to Microsoft sellers, you'll get a ton more attention from the cloud provider. So I think working these cloud players, you just need to understand what their sales structure is, what their incentives are, what programs they have that you could leverage 
to build your solution on theirs and what marketing opportunities they have to showcase you. Because getting your case study on a, you know, a cloud player's website, it's not that hard and it gets you a ton of credibility. We're looking at cloud players and starting to build that, those types of partnerships. I think what we've also seen is it's a really effective procurement tool in a lot of ways because you know, if you're going through different, you know, especially with larger enterprises, if they're going through different budgets and there's maybe an IT budget already sitting with a cloud marketplace, there's a lot of potential to leverage that for something that's, you know, a software needed by that company it can get a deal done faster. And yes, you might lose a percentage of that as a commission to the, um, you know, the, the marketplace. I, uh, so I, I think there's a lot of opportunity there and it's all part of that education. Again, it could give more credibility within, you know, especially if you're a startup and it could also allow for more co-sell opportunities in the future that you're working with that team to, to drive forward. So I think it's, it's super important to get that. If you can get it up and running, get it up and running and then, you know, have the team run with it. And, and again, showcase those wins. A hundred percent. A word of caution here have a dedicated partner manager for that cloud alliance because otherwise your your team will be overwhelmed. I've seen that happen far too often and I like to throw that out as a word of caution. I think uh, it, the other thing too is especially as you're doing a small like building a, a partnership program in the first place in terms of resourcing, can you actually effectively resource cloud partners? Can you resource alliances, reseller, OEM, whatever your actual strategy is it's not going to be done by one person. These are very, very different areas and they need special attention. So I think that's a great point because um, I've seen people try to do it all in the past and I've seen people be more specialized and it's very clearly more effective when it's in a specialized manner. I think you touched on a really interesting point. You said, don't have one person do everything. And I think I've seen a lot of companies say, oh, the partner manager or the person in charge of partnerships can do marketing, enablement, co-selling, selling alliances and partnerships, you know? So how do companies avoid that trap is something I think about quite a bit. So what do you think about when you think about how to avoid it? <laughs> I think if you can, it's best to just have a conversation up front before you start in your new role that in order to be successful, here are the resources I'm going to need. And if you want to stand up a partnership program that is successful and isn't just something in name, I'm going to need this budget. I mean, be really upfront about what resources you're going to need. Negotiate for them. Make sure you get them. And ideally, negotiate them about two years out because things change. And it's always good to have a bit of a buffer. Even if you don't get them in your first six months, make sure you get them in your first 12 months. Like at Queerbit, we talked before I started, I talked about having engineering resources, because that's going to be critical. Having product folks, marketing folks. Um, what I didn't ask for were revenue operations folks. And that is a critical piece of the puzzle and also enablement folks. So I think now that I know better, I mean, I had all those resources in Microsoft. So now that I know better, I know what to ask for. So just drawing out, I. This is something I can't really wish I'd done differently. I wish I'd drawn out a deeper stakeholder map at a startup, not just what I knew at Microsoft, and asked for those resources up front. 
actually, I would argue might need more resources, especially to get off the ground. Once it's there, it becomes a huge resource. But uh, enablement is such a huge thing, especially internally and externally, right? You want to enable your partners. You want to have marketing collateral that's partner specific. You want to build an actual program. And if you're just one person, you can't do, you can't build a whole program and go out and acquire all the partners that you need to be part of the program you're setting yourself up to fail when it comes to your internal stakeholders and your partners, because you're not going to be able to do this effectively. And then it's going to be like, what are you doing here? And then at that point, if you ask for more resources, that's an uphill battle. So, And, and to your point, I actually built out a huge ROI calculator. And I was like, this is what each, how much revenue we can drive for each partner type with these resources. And so finance could go to town and figure out how much ROI they wanted to drive out of partnerships and the resources we need. So I think being really, I, I think quantifying what it would take to get where the company could get to is really helpful because having data, I think, is much more powerful than a soft argument. Of course, 100% agree with that as a RevOps person. Um, <laughs> how do you generally quantify that, especially coming in somewhere new where there might not be that historical data? There's market data, of course, but but there's not historical data within that company and you're trying to educate, how do you go about doing that? I think it's really important in the first 30 to 45 days to get an early win and show what a strong partnership could do. So maybe there is an existing partnership that's been underutilized. Maybe you can just reach out and co-sell a deal with a partner or start bringing in leads with a partner, but just showing that early win to your exec team is really important. And I think coming out of that, again, going to an AE who will be an evangelist for partnerships is helpful. Just continuing to showcase wins, continuing to show the value to internal stakeholders, I think is really, really crucial to building out a strong partnerships function. Yeah. Especially if you don't have the resources to help you, like you're saying, right? You have to have those key players as evangelists that really will help drive that and say, look, this is so great. I work with Juhi's team on this huge deal or even this small deal that I didn't even think I was going to get. And this partner helped me. So we need more of this. A hundred percent. I think when I first started at Clearbit, people were, they had no idea what a partnership was. And so I had to be really explicit that these are the types of partnerships we're going to focus on. Your examples, your metrics we're going to focus on. And more importantly, this is why it matters to you, different teams. It was really important to let them know how we would retire their quota and help them look good and help them be successful. And I think it was kind of hand-to-hand combat, um, just winning over folks one by one, seeing the value of partnerships, like having really strong allies and enablement and marketing and getting case studies out there and getting some love from partners on LinkedIn and PR. I think that really got the company excited. And then it just starts to build, but there's constant internal evangelization, asking for resources, and always tying it back to the ROI you can drive either through mindshare or direct revenue and tying that back to the company's business goals. Yeah, 100%. And and I think, again, great point on how is this impacting quota? What's in this for me? Show me where, you know, if I'm going to learn, take the time as a sales rep to learn about partnerships. It, like I, I need to understand that it's going to be worth my time because my time is very fragmented. Again, there's... You know, it's like a um, a golden retriever with just like a bunch of uh, tennis balls everywhere, right? And it's 
chasing different tennis balls. And I think that's a lot of what happens sometimes in sales. If they're doing new upsell end of quarter, there's just like anything we can get. Right. And, um, then, and I think there's all these different areas you can go and in roles and responsibilities of sales. And, and there's really only one is to drive revenue, but there's so many different ways you can focus on that. When you're looking at your client list, how do you prioritize? How do you know where you're going to drive things? And then adding partner into that sometimes feels like just another thing thrown into the mix and it, it can get lost. So I think it's consistent enablement and really, like you said, just highlighting those wins. And also making it really easy to your point. So um, now that we're in this third phase of co-selling with partners where people aren't just using organic stock channels, we're looking for enablement, making it super easy. Like here are the talking points you could use to suss out if a customer would be a good fit for this partner. Here's the top track you could use if they're a net new customer, a net new or an existing customer. Here's a top track for a partner referral. Like just having bullet points and making it really, really easy, I think is also very helpful for anyone in any role. I think it's also important on when when you're being brought something by a partner, or when you see that there's already a partner engagement versus when you go to the partner team and say, hey, help, I think a partner would be really effective here, right? We talk about services and sometimes it is just a straight referral. Sometimes it is just a straight resell. But a lot of times, especially on the SI side, they really want to provide ongoing services for the, the client too. Maybe they are working with other technology companies, things like that. So, you know, that piece, the services piece is also something I think that companies get stuck on because there's sometimes internal services, external services through partners. And then again, you, you have to walk that line of avoiding conflict. So have you run into that yet at Clearbit? Um, I'm sure you've run into the past. How have you navigated that? Yeah, that is also a constant source of conflict internally and externally because partners, whether they're tech partners or implementation partners, they could be taking away direct revenue from our sales team. And that's a constant challenge. So just having rules of engagement be really explicit. Like here is when you can engage a Clearbit prospect or a customer. Here's when you cannot. Here's what you're allowed to say. Here's what you're allowed to expose about our pricing, et cetera. And having really clear ground rules, I think is crucial. Also really open communication. Uh, yesterday, we had an example of a deal that cropped up where our seller had referred a lead to a partner. Um, the customer came back and said, we may buy directly from the partner. So I had to step in and help there where we had to establish here were the rules of engagement. You know, here's what we agreed to. And we can go down these different paths, how would you like to proceed with this customer? So I think having really clear ground rules and also providing air cover to our sellers is really important. Channel conflict is inevitable in some way, but you have to consider the needs of the customer. If they say, oh, I want to go directly instead of through a partner or do something along those lines, you have to consider those needs, but then work out with you and that partner, how that impacts your relationship, how that impacts future revenue, how that impacts even this just one deal in terms of rules of engagement, um, because you also need to maintain that trust internally. So it's so important. I think you brought it home there. I mean, at the end of the day, it's doing whatever is right for the customer. The rest is secondary, but it's whatever we need to do for our mutual customers and keep them happy. Yeah. Once you start uh, having your own internal conflict <laughs> showing to partners or, partners or clients, um, yeah, that that's you're doing something wrong there. Um, 
So as we wrap up, I would love to leave our listeners with one final thought. Um, if you know you were a sales rep who's never worked with a partner before um, and new to this this whole type of space, what would be your advice to somebody in terms of you know starting to work with a partnerships function within their company? If you're new to working with partners, I think it's great to understand what your customer needs that your product cannot solve. And that's your customer discovery. And then talking with peers who worked with partners at the company to see how partners can solve that pain point. I think it's a pretty basic thing, but I think it's also important to point out that you have a team of champions internally at your company who've worked with partners. So leverage their knowledge and help your customer be great. I think that's just helping your customer be great, especially with partners will lead to a lot of goodness for any seller. Yeah. Like you said, that's the end goal is helping your customers be great and how you get there. Partners can be a big part of that. Some deals, they might not be part of that at all, but um, you know, they're a really great resource as you and I have both seen and and many salespeople and many companies have seen um, great resource for really driving things forward just across the board. So Thank you so much for being here. Um, great conversation. I can talk about partner for hours. Uh, but if somebody does want to get in touch with you, whether it's about Clearbit partnerships or just talking about partnerships in general, uh, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? You can find me on LinkedIn or partnerships at clearbit.com. We would love to chat. Thank you so much, Jenna. Great. Thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. I'm your host, Jenna Sachs. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey Sales People podcast.